You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Pretty good. Thank you so much. That's good. I forgot to shut off my videos. We're going to go try and do this oh, with my video okay. on. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't freeze up on you. We have to start this all over again. Well, that's true. <laughs> Everything's been good with you? Yes, it's uh, it's been uh, a bit of a... Blur, busy, but mm-hmm. uh, busy, busy can be good. Um, busy can be good. So nothing yes. wrong with being busy. It's going well. Good, good. Today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do um, follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. And please, if you want to suggest any show topics or you want to chat further, you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. So Alex, we're working on show 188. Boy, it's coming up fast, eh? I remember our 100th show and now we're almost at 200. Time flies. Yes, it really has. It really has flown. You can, um, sorry? It really has flown by the time. It has, it has. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of, uh, I don't know what it is with my headphones. I'm not hearing so well, but that's okay. We press on. Please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, or you can find it on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And before before we get into our show, um, I'm really excited to let everybody know that a program that I have been working on, my, um, my integrative cancer nutrition method is now up live and uh, on my website or my new website, which is cancercanopy.com. And it is for active cancer patients. And it is for people who are trying to avoid a cancer diagnosis or in prevention. And uh, I wanted when, to share with when was this, you launched it again. When was it that it was launched? It was launched. Uh, well, it's going to be hard to tell you when it's on. We don't even know when the show's going to be aired. But, uh, <laughs> but, no, but the, that's why I was asking when was it launched? Oh, October. Already, October. Okay. October. I finally got it up. And um, it's really nice for me to share with everybody here because I've, you know, a lot of inspiration. I got a lot of inspiration from uh, working on the show. So with the help of Radio Maria giving me the opportunity to have a voice on on your station. And then um, with all of the wonderful guests we've had on the show, I've just absorbed so much from them and um, my own research and working with with cancer patients, of course. And 
this is uh, a work of love. I've really put my heart and soul into this and uh, very happy with the way it's turned out. And it's chock full of everything that I've learned here. As I said, uh, you know, when our guests were on talking about circadian rhythm, I was, you know, storing that stuff away, the intermittent fasting, all our talk about the microbiome, detoxification, it's all in this program, along with, you know, tons and tons of handouts and recipes. So I really felt this was needed in the the cancer space, Mm -hmm. an integrative approach that everybody can feel confident with. If you are working with medical professionals, it's completely integrative and um, really it goes beyond what to eat. It's the whys and the whens, even the hows of eating. And um, as I said, something that I think is is missing. So I'm very happy to... Congratulations, um, first of all, on uh, on launching it. It, it is something that uh, is much needed in because... Um, for me, um, I, I've known a couple uh, family members who have dealt with cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, just having the option, uh, a different, yeah, different options to better one's health when they're in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically what, uh, what my family uh, members maybe have lacked in the past, but this provides an opportunity for patients to uh, better their health in more ways now. So that's great. It does. And that's truly the reason I did it. It's so important for people to understand that if they are going into active treatment or inactive treatment, your state of health really impacts how well that treatment will work. Um, And it also really teaches you that you have a very vital role in your own cancer prevention and if you're in active care. So, you know, it's come from my personal experience as being a cancer patient myself and going through the system. So it's something I would love to have had personally when I was going through my own treatments. So um, I hope it's well received and I hope that uh, it can do it can do many people good. So that is my hope. And thank you for letting me share it today. Of course. Today's show is, um, I've had so many people ask me about this topic, and I'm so glad to have our guest, Dr. Sayana Rafacha on the show. We're talking about IBS. And IBS is an umbrella term for many symptoms of gut issues. And we'll go into that in our discussion. But, you know, it's, it's amazing when you look at the statistics of, of how many people suffer from gastrointestinal issues. And one in 18 Canadian or 18% of Canadians um, suffer from a diagnosis of IBS. Two out of three are women and it affects all ages. And more than 70% indicate that their symptoms interfere with everyday life. And 46 report, 46% have reported missing school or work due to um, issues surrounding IBS. So this is a very real issue and it goes way beyond the, the physical suffering. And many people who have IBS will tell you that it's embarrassing or, you know, they don't want to be out or, you know, they'll, they'll be scoping out bathrooms where, you know, wherever they're going, because um, it can, it can take, it can take over so quickly, you can have a symptomology, you know, diarrhea uh, right. can come on so quickly. And it's, um, 
it's something that affects a great number of people. And the frustration is that the diagnosis often does not lead with any sort lead to any sort of treatment. Um, try probiotics, watch what you eat. And, and that's led a lot of people to a very frustrating uh, situation. So uh, our guest today, Dr. Sayana, is, is here to tell you that there is hope and there are ways to speak to your medical caregiver or use integrative help to try and get to the root of IBS. And it is becoming more and more recognized and more and more of, of something that, that the medical team and the medical profession is taking more clearly uh, under, their, under their wing as an important uh, issue to try and get to the bottom of for, for people. So a great show. Um, and, and she's a, a wonderful, a wonderful lady. She, Dr. Sayana Rafacha is a board certified family medicine physician and medical director and co-founder of Prime Health. She graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan with a BSE in biomedical engineering. She received her medical degree from the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine and did a residency training at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami, Florida. Prior to starting Prime Health, she was a physician at Parsley Health in New York City, a technology forward function medicine practice where she was an integral to its rapid growth. Dr. Rafacha worked and received expert mentorship at the renowned Mount Sinai Beth Israel Center for Health and Healing, Dr. Frank Lippman's 1111 Wellness Center, and Dr. Robert Roundtree's Boulder well, uh, well Care. A great show. We talk about symptomology. We talk about next steps to try and deal with IBS. We talk about functional tests that you may want to consider. So everybody, please stay tuned with us. We will be back with Dr. Sayana in a few minutes. What will it be like when my pain is gone? And all the worries of this world just fade away What will it be like When you call my name In that moment when I see you face to face I'm waiting my whole life to hear you say Well done Well done, my good and fair. 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, our show today is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Dr. Sianna, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nailed that name, right? Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) So impressed. Thank you very much. So we are in, well, I've had so many questions. I put it out there about um, anyone who had questions about IBS. And I've gone over some statistics here in Canada. I did a little bit of research. But tell us, first of all, tell us how you got into this space of working with IBS into your, into your doctorship. That would be a great place for us to get to know you. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, IBS is one of the specialties that we have, you know, at our practice prime health. Um, The other ones being more like thyroid related and autoimmune disease related. I think that these three categories, you know, IBS, thyroid, autoimmunity, They're just areas in conventional medicine that really lack a lot of support Mm -hmm. and lack optimal support. And the good news is that when you're doing functional medicine and integrative medicine, it's totally the opposite. Like we actually have so many tools that we can use that can help people with IBS, with thyroid dysfunction that doesn't feel well treated, you know, optimized and autoimmunity where we're just, you know, in in the conventional world, we're just left with immune suppressing drugs. So in, you know, in my realm of study, like functional medicine, integrated medicine, and anyone who practices this way will be able to tell you that, you know, this is an area that we can really shine. And I think that that's kind of how I ended up, you know, really specializing in those, those categories, because, you know, when I started to study this type of work, um, when I kind of, realized that conventional, the conventional approach does not necessarily create health and wellness. It more so just kind of band-aids things, you know, it's symptomatic management, not really looking at the root. When I started to get frustrated with that um, and started looking at the more natural way and kind of like Eastern approach and looking at root cause and things like that, that's where I really started to learn about the gut and the gut being the center of our health and how important it is for gut function and gut optimization in order for the rest of the body to actually function optimally. I mean, you know, now we know there's like this huge connection between the immune system and the gut and the brain and the gut and just inflammation and the gut all over. So, you know, with knowing that it's just, it seemed kind of intuitive for me to kind of focus on people who are having issues with the gut, like IBS and therefore, you know, by correcting that, we're preventing maybe some downstream secondary issues that could develop years down the road. Well, that's an interesting piece that you say right there, because first off, IBS while back was thought to be in your head. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. people who suffered from IBS under this umbrella of, you know, take an antacid or or take, you know, and and it will go away. But the other piece is that um, it's becoming more and more clear through work like yours and through research that IBS isn't just, 
you know, this discomfort that, um, you know, is kind of a pain in the, in the neck in our life, but it can lead, if not taken care of, it can lead down the road to other health issues. And I think that is a different perspective than some of the ways other people have been looking at this. Is that new to you? Is this something that you have been following patients with and you have seen the downstream effect many years later? Yes. I mean, I've definitely seen it in the sense that, you know, when we're doing our intake, which is extremely long, you know, it's two hours long that we do our initial visit intake and we tease out all the historical data, like what brought you to this point now, um, more often than not, like anyone who has an inflammatory condition, um, you know, or is dealing with brain fog and, you know, fatigue or these kind of more chronic issues Many, much of the time, you know, a lot of these patients will say that they've had bad digestion their entire life, mm -hmm. or, you know, they've, you know, as a child, like they took a lot of antibiotics and then, you know, they started to develop, you know, some IBS symptoms and then some other things started to come along the way. So it, it does tend to look like, you know, based on my experience that a lot of things are preceded by digestive disorders and, Unfortunately, just giving it that name IBS really tends to make people say, oh, okay, well, this is just something I have to deal with. And they don't necessarily realize that there are ways that you can really approve upon it and maybe even completely reverse it. What are, so we know some of the common symptoms, right? Constipation, diarrhea. But again, this is a big umbrella that a lot of people fall under, and they may not equate some symptomology with a disruption in um, their intestinal system. So what are other symptoms that you have found that are in association with IBS? Well, the main ones are going to be digestive. So you are going to get the bloating, the abdominal pain, uh, like cramping type feelings. Um, you are going to get the changes in bowel movement, like diarrhea and constipation, um, flatulence. I mean, those are really the main symptoms that you're going to, that you're going to see, but you can get what's called extra digest, extra gastrointestinal symptoms, like things outside of the digestive tract will generally follow like, like, um, mental health issues, like mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, fatigue, insomnia, because when you're dealing with digestive, well, it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, what exactly is that connection, but part of it is mental, emotional. Like if you're constantly dealing with digestive issues, it's going to make you depressed, going to make you feel anxious every time you eat. It's, you know, you're not going to be able to sleep well when you're so uncomfortable all the time. Um, and that can cause fatigue. And then you're also looking at the actual microbial level of things, you know, now that we know about the microbiome, you know, maybe 15 years of study, you know, really going into the microbiome. Now um, we do know that there's things called psychobiotics and, you know, bacteria that actually change the way that you feel and certain patterns of your microbiome are going to be more tendency, you know, tend toward like anxiety and depression and things like that. So there's a lot of reasons why there's a connection here between um, different symptoms, but for the actual, you know, IBS diagnosis, it's really based on digestive symptoms that you mentioned. 
And it is a, it can be a vicious cycle. You have people that suffer with this, you know, you're on a date and all of a sudden you have to run to the bathroom and, and you're in these situations, there is a psychological impact. And then that mm-hmm. too can feed back into the gut. So I'm yeah. assuming that your practice is going to be focusing, have to focus on all of these areas, but the fact that you are working with people and naming this as something that can be dealt with, that is, must be a huge relief to a lot of people because still to this day, if they go to some doctors, it's, you have IBS, you know, have a probiotic off you go and, you know, try not to eat the foods that bother you. And that's not Mm -hmm. enough for people. I don't think it's enough for people. Now, when it comes to IBS, this big umbrella, where exactly in the digestive system in the intestinal tract, are you focusing or is this uh, something that permeates all the way, uh, you know? esophagus right down to anus idea? Well, it definitely can come from any area, like any of these symptoms, you know? Um, And that's the craziest thing about calling something IBS is that there can be so many different reasons for why someone has those symptoms. And, you know, it's just like saying depression, you know, same thing. Like there could be like 10 different reasons why someone has depression, Um, you know, it could be nutrients, it could be hormonal, it could be situational, you know, there's so many different reasons why someone could get a diagnosis. That's why in the Western medicine approach, it's kind of like, okay, well, you have this one diagnosis, then, okay, this is the one treatment for it. That just doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we live in this complex world where there's so many different factors leading into why someone feels a certain way, we really need to do the work in order to try to you know, pare down, peel down the layers of why this is actually occurring. Um, so yeah, so the, the approach is going to be different based on where in the digestive tract we're having a problem. So it could start as, you know, it could even start in the brain. Like maybe you're not getting ready to eat in the right mm-hmm. state of state of mind. Like we said, you know, if you are anxious you're not going to digest your food, right? The gastric juices are not going to flow. You know, the acid is not going to be there. The pancreatic juices are not going to be there. And so your, your food's just going to sit there in your stomach because you're in this anxious state. Um, so it could even start as, as high level as like the nervous system. Um, and then, you know, there could also be issues in the stomach. Maybe you're not making as, as much acid as you need to, or you ha- you're in a hypochlorhydric state. Um, you know, the pH of the stomach should be extremely low, like very acidic, acidic uh, at a level of two, where seven is neutral. So, you know, we really need a lot of acid to be able to digest food properly and also um, begin to um, instigate, you know, the pancreas to release bile and pancreatic enzymes. So it can be in the stomach that there's an issue. Um, There could be, you could be taking PPIs or proton pump inhibitors, which are very strong antacids causing, you know, lack of, you know, a lack of acid and then a lack of digestive juices to flow in. Um, the small intestine, you could have a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I know, you know, you've talked to Dr. Uh, Mark Pimentel in the past, one of the leading experts in SIBO and um, he's, you know, his institution has brought out a lot of great research on how to treat that. And that's a major, major um, cause for a lot of people's symptoms of IBS. 
And then going into the large intestine, you could also have various things going on there in terms of uh, microbial imbalances. Like some people um, with many, many years of multiple antibiotic use can start to develop candida overgrowth or yeast, um, which is an imbalance of bacteria and yeast microbes, um, which can also lead to a lot of other inflammatory issues. There could be parasites there. There could be other inflammatory bacteria that are growing there. Um, and so, yeah, so these are all different potential causes for symptoms of IBS, but, you know, totally different areas of the body being affected. Which begs the question, where do you start? It sounds like the testing can be just so onerous for, for people. So where do you start with that history? And then you try and zone in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the history that we take during the initial visit is a huge part of this. So then we can kind of see like, okay, what kind of risk factors does this person have? Are they an extremely stressed out type person? You know, so see if that's involved. Maybe cortisol production is off the charts. So we may or may not need to test that, you know, mm -hmm. if someone wants to test it and is willing to pay, you know, maybe $150 um, for a cortisol test, then we can, we can actually prove and say like, okay, this is the data that shows that your stress levels are really off. Um, and then going down the list, I mean, if this person historically has taken, you know, NSAID medications or proton pump inhibitor medications for a long period of time, then we know that that's probably contributing to an issue um, of acid production. And then also asking someone, when exactly is it that you get your symptoms? Is it immediately after eating or is it 30 minutes after eating? You know, then you can kind of try to see like where in the digestive tract is the main problem. Um, you know, where is your bloating? Is it in the upper side of the stomach or is it in the lower part of the stomach? And then we can kind of tease out, you know, maybe this is more SIBO upper intestinal versus lower intestinal. Um, whether someone has constipation or diarrhea can kind of tell us more or less um, whether, you know, maybe parasites are involved or maybe um, SIBO, but a certain type of SIBO, like the different breath um, mm -hmm. gases that come out can be associated with different symptoms. So, you know, as a, as an educated practitioner, hopefully as we're giving, as we're taking the information down, we're kind of like putting things at the top of the list as to what might be going on and what could be most helpful. Um, but at the same time, the testing is extremely helpful too. So normally what we would do is a SIBO test. So checking for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth through the breath. Um, that test is extremely important. I would like all of my IBS patients to do it um, because it, because it's present. What, what's the reason um, in case they don't know the association? Yeah, because if it's present, then there's actually treatment associated with the results that we get, So, it, which is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. So if they get a positive test for hydrogen or methane, then we know that there's a certain treatment protocol that we can follow to, you know, majority of the time, improve their symptoms or resolve them. So that's really, really beneficial for us to have that data. And then the other test is the stool test, which is also mm -hmm. extremely helpful. Um, so it's not a ton of testing. It is, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people um, will have to end up spending a few hundred dollars, 
you know, to get this data. But if it's, if it's something that they've been dealing with for many years, which is usually the case, then they're willing to do that because they want to know, they want answers because they've just gone through the system so many times being told, oh, there's nothing you can do and all that. Um, and so they want answers. And so that's really helpful. So we can start off with the right data and move forward in the right direction as soon as possible. Um, yeah, and just some, so, sorry, yeah. go ahead, continue. Oh, I was just gonna note that on the stool test, just to know that it's very different. The functional medicine doctors, the, the ones that are practitioners, you know, whether you're a doctor or anything else, um, the functional medicine stool testing is different from the stool testing that you normally get from a doctor's of conventional doctor's office. And that's the other, the other thing to realize is that we're using tests where we're looking at, you know, pancreatic enzymes and whether you're digesting fats and proteins, right. And whether you have inflammatory markers and we're doing DNA analysis for parasites and looking for yeast, which is rarely ever done, you know, in a conventional setting. And it's not that they can't do these tests. It's just, they're frequently not done. Um, and the nice thing is that we were able to kind of order them in one test. So it's like one shot, you get all of this information. And I find that to be extremely helpful. Well, you're giving hope to a lot of people. If you Google and you go on the internet, it's not curable. It's something that people need to live with and they need to manage. And the way you're talking is that's just not the case. We find the culprit, we find the source, we treat the source, work with the source and move these people on to a life that they may not have had, a happy life that they may not have had for many years. Because this is something that um, it can start in childhood and make its way all the way through old age. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great, uh, to me, the, the fact that you are able to say that we can work with this, we can treat this, there is something, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think is so hopeful for all the people that are listening today, because that's just not the bell that's been rung before. We're going to take a quick break, everybody, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk with Dr. Sayana.
are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Dr. Cyan Rafacha, and we're going to continue along with this topic of IBS and inflammation. And I've had a lot of questions about actionable steps that people can take right now um, and elimination diets. So all of these things I want to talk about, whether you find they are, they are relevant. Um, and let's let's actually start with the elimination diet, because I know that a lot of practitioners, uh, doctors will say, okay, go home, do a food journal, find out what is the trigger. Uh, that's, that's been protocol for a long time. Is it relevant or is that just a small, small piece of it? Oh, I think that an elimination diet is essential um, to begin treatment for IBS, definitely. Um, if people are eating things that are potentially aggravating the digestive tract, then they should absolutely be eliminated in someone's attempt to cure themselves of IBS. Um, and, you know, it could be chicken or the egg, like there could be foods that are aggravating that may have, you know, been a part of the original issue to begin with. And then on the other side of that, maybe there's another issue going on like SIBO or parasite or, or yeast or something. And that's, prohibiting them from being able to digest certain foods, you know, so either way they're having an issue digesting certain foods. And I think that eliminating that is really step one of the, of the treatment plan. Um, because as long as you're eating those aggravating foods, regardless of what we do, you know, it may not clear up. So, you know, a lot of people know about, you know, the buzzwords of gluten and dairy and, and sugar, and it's because that they are a major problem for so many people. It's not just a fad, you know, it's not fake or any of that. It's true. You know, 80% of the world population or more actually is, is sensitive to lactose and cannot handle dairy. So that's really important. Um, not only that, but there's inflammatory proteins in their casein. A lot of the dairy that we get these days, you know, it's not what it used to be. There's all kinds of like medications, like antibiotics and, um, you know, hormones and things that are, are not going to make you feel good. So lots of reasons why dairy should be on that list of elimination gluten as well. You know, about 10% of the world population is sensitive to gluten. Only about 1% has celiac, mm -hmm. you know, full-fledged gluten intolerance, but there's still a ton more, 10 times that who are having issues with gluten. And then on top of that, you know, gluten, the, the major source that we get it from is through wheat and wheat is heavily sprayed in the United States. Um, maybe Canada too, with glyphosate and all kinds of toxic pesticides which is also poking holes in our digestive tract mm -hmm. leading to more issues. So it's not even just the wheat because people will tell you all the time, Hey, but I go to Italy and I can eat dairy and pizza. And it's like so a paradise true. out yeah. there. It sounds like I can't wait to check it out myself, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, there is a, there is a major distinct difference between what we do in processing our food and what, 
unfortunately, you know, what the rest of the world and specifically Italy, I guess, does, <laughs> you know, in processing their food. So there is a major problem with wheat and gluten and then sugar. I mean, we know like this is like a major problem in the Western world. There's sugar in everything, you know, the whole low fat diet, um, really kind of screwed us all up and, mm -hmm. um, for decades. And we really took, took way too much fat out of the diet and put way too much sugar and carbs and, um, inflammatory oils, um, as well, things like soybean oil and corn oil and sunflower seed oil, all these vegetable oils that are really unnatural for us to be consuming. Um, those are probably the top categories of things that should be eliminated from a diet to start off with. You know, if that's already been done, you know, and you say, okay, I've been following a really strict diet for a really long time, then there must be more digging, you know, that needs to be done in order to figure out what else is going on. But I do think that as a top priority, eliminating inflammatory foods like that, sticking to whole foods. Um, and then, you know, another subcategory is FODMAPs. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a food category that gets a lot of attention for helping people with IBS um, you know, it's basically reducing the fermentable carbohydrates that are in plant foods. So you might even not necessarily bad foods, right? right? Not quote unquote bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just high in these particular fermentable fibers and fermentable carbohydrates. Um, so you might even hear it, um, named the low fermentation diet, mm -hmm. um, by Dr. Pimentel, and so they're very, they're, there's a lot of cross um, uh, similarities between the two, like low FODMAP and low um, fermentable diet. It's very difficult to follow. And it's also not recommended to necessarily be followed for more than a few months because you could run into some nutrient deficiencies mm -hmm. and things like that. But, but really people do tend to do a lot better when they reduce excessive amounts of fiber from their diet, especially like raw vegetables, which are harder to digest than cooked ones. Um, so that's something that people can try out and keep in mind um, in terms of elimination. I think that those are things that um, I would work on. And then of course, people are going to ask, well, what can I eat? <laughs> mm -hmm. Especially when you're introducing the FODMAP diet, but it, it's good right. to note here that everybody is different and their, their diseases, yes. their inflammation is different. So what is acceptable? Uh, I always use avocado. I don't like that, but avocado is acceptable as this wonderful food, but it may not work for everybody. So it is important, um, in my estimation, that people keep a record of what they're eating and take note of when they're having flare-ups. And then you've got this whole psychological thing that's built into it too. But I think what you're saying is important for people because they can take action, they can take first steps. And I think once they start seeing a little bit of relief then that belief comes in and they they get success and then they can move forward. But it's so important what I, you know, not everybody that's listening can see you. So I, it's important that you give information like this and maybe even what they should say to their doctor. So if they're going to a doctor, a lot of people in, in Canada don't see functional medicine practitioners like in the States, what should they be equipped with when they're walking into their doctor's office? How should they approach this? Hmm. Well, first of all, 
I can't remember what you said about the SIBO testing. Did you say that people are doing it in Canada now? It's not. We don't have the the dual test, number one. And it's not. You do have to go and dig around to find out some of the practitioners, integrative um, or NDs are doing it as well. But it's not like a standard test. I see. Okay. Well, in, in the U.S. now, luckily, you know, some gastroenterologists are offering it like in their office, which is lovely. Um, but if that's not the case, you know, in, um, in Canada, I mean, I would try to find someone who can do that test mm-hmm. for you, because if that ends up being, a, you know, a positive, then there are treatment protocols that you can follow. There's herbal ones, you know, if you're working with a naturopath, um, they'll probably put you on some herbal um, antimicrobial protocols, which can be really effective, almost just as effective and sometimes more effective than um, antibiotics like rifaximin or zyfaxin as it's called. Um, but either one, I mean, they, we see so much improvement, maybe 50%, maybe 60% of people completely resolve. And then the remainder, that's where the, the, you know, kind of nuances come in and working with someone who has a lot of different tools in their tool bag Mm -hmm. really does help because, you know, we work with people on a membership basis And it's really, really helpful because this is not something that just is like one and done Mm -hmm. type of a situation. Usually it, you know, the treatment protocols take a couple months and then we might need to shift, you know, we modify things. Um, We we're checking in very frequently about how they're doing so that we can pivot in the right direction, maybe order more testing if needed. So this is kind of, this is the environment that I work in personally if you're working with a doctor that doesn't do this type of an approach or doesn't work this way, I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, I would, I would almost encourage, like, if you, if you think that in Canada, you know, doctors are not offering this type of approach, seeking out either a naturopath, you know, that you can work with out there, or, you know, maybe an oriental medicine or Chinese medicine doctor who does this type of approach Um, or, you know, even health coaches, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't have like medical training, can't prescribe, but, but there's still, some of them are extremely well-versed in gut health and even using, you know, supplements and nutritionists certainly can, I think, recommend, Mm -hmm. um, supplements in the U S potentially in Canada too. So they, I mean, they can have great results with people. Um, what what are your key supplements? Thing. So if you were going to recommend, you know, someone's going to be proactive and, and go tomorrow and, go, and grab some key supplements to, to start off on this, what would you recommend? Yeah. So if someone has a high suspicion that they have SIBO, for instance, like let's say you have bloating basically after anything you eat, um, fiber, particularly making it worse, tends to get worse as the day goes on, you know, some people say, Oh, I feel like I'm pregnant by the end of the day. That's a very common, um, statement, unfortunately, that people with SIBO make. Um, and so if you have all of those symptoms, it doesn't matter if you have diarrhea or constipation because it can be causing either one. Um, then certain supplements, so the herbal supplements that are, have been used and studied in the Johns Hopkins study a couple few years ago now um, that were head to head against rifaximin antibiotic and were shown to be effective. Um, those, those herbal um, antimicrobials, they're actually two different companies that make the ones that were in the study. So 
biotics um, research mm -hmm. makes FCCidal and dysbiocide. Um, so yeah, so those are the two that were studied in one arm. And the other company is Metagenics and they make Candybactan AR and Candybactan BR. Um, and so either one, you know, they both were shown to be effective. You basically take two capsules um, of each twice a day and you have to pick one. Don't take all four of these <laughs> at the same time. That's a lot. So pick one brand um, and then there's the two bottles and you take two capsules of each of those two bottles in the morning and two of them in the evening. Um, and they studied that, I believe for six week, a, a six week course. Well, it might've been shorter than that. I'd have to look back at the exact study that they did. Mm -hmm. We usually put people on it for at least six weeks, okay. um, because we do find that it, it does need that amount of time in order for it to be fully effective. Um, and of course, you know, those are the herbal supplements, but there's a lot of like supportive supplements that we use too. Like you want to be on, um, something that helps heal any inflammation in the gut lining. So a lot of times we'll use like biotics, GI, um, resolve. I like that one. Um, designs for health has, designs for health has uh, GI revive. They have glutamine, aloe, deglycerinated licorice, um, marshmallow root, you know, things that soothe the lining of the gut and produce a little bit help your mucus uh, producing cells produce that mucus lining to protect the digestive tract cells, the, the enterocytes from the harsh things that are in the gut. So things that kind of build up that mucus layer are really important. Um, we may or may not put someone on digestive enzymes you know, that could be helpful in some people's situation. When would you um, not put people on digestive enzymes? Um, that's pretty standard. A lot of practitioners just true. go to that. Yeah, no, I mean, you can definitely just go ahead. If someone's having symptoms of SIBO, more often than not, digestive enzymes will be helpful, whether it's short-term or long-term, because you're basically helping that person break down food particles mm -hmm. smaller so that there aren't these large proteins aggravating the lining of the gut. And would you transition people off of them as the idea to, again, repair, yeah. reduce inflammation and transition off of these supplements? Definitely. Yeah. Long-term, if someone's symptoms resolve or totally improve, then we might be able to experiment with coming off of it or just have them use it with certain foods, like maybe, you know, large, like meat, uh, meals, or maybe mm -hmm. people who are eating, who want to keep dairy in their diet and, you know, know that they need the enzymes with it, you know, th certain specific situations, maybe we'll move toward that. Something that, that yeah, digestive enzymes pretty much across the board can be helpful okay. in a SIBO patient. The thing that's more, you know, questionable is actually giving someone HCL or hydrochloric acid with the digestive enzymes that gets a little bit trickier. Um, cause some people can't tolerate it well. Um, first of all, you know, they feel like acid in their stomach. Some people also, you know, there's some research saying that the hydrogen will feed methanogen bacteria. Um, so it could make methane predominant SIBO worse. This is theoretical. It may or may not be true for everyone. Um, but you just have to exercise a little bit of caution when you're, when you're giving digestive enzymes with betaine HCL. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking about here, relieving someone of the symptomology, curing whatever their particular flashpoints are that's triggering the IBS, but underlying all of it. And what you've been saying with regards to the gut is reducing that inflammation. And this can all take time. So I know people can be impatient and they want results, yes. but the, you said you've have people in there for about two months and then you may change the treatment plan. People need to be patient, right? This is a, this is a matter of, of not just getting to the root of the problem, but maybe years of inflammation and healing. So how long would you say, you know, in a, in a, in an average person, when can they expect to see turnaround? When should they expect to see turnaround? And then afterwards, how do they maintain their health? Yeah. So it really depends, obviously <laughs> that's the, always the answer, but, um, but generally speaking, I mean, depending on how long, how chronic the issue is and how severe it is. So those are going to tell us like how long it's going to take to get better, basically, mm -hmm. you know, so if you've been dealing with an issue for 10 years and it's severe, I mean, you got to give yourself at least six months to see some improvements, mm -hmm. you know, on, on different protocols. Um, and then if someone, let's say they've only been dealing with it for two years and it's quite mild, then maybe like two, three months, you know, oh, cut good. it in half. You know, so it really depends on the situation, but I could say that generally. Um, and then, you know, like I said, there's layers always. It's mm -hmm. not like I wish that there was, you know, one test that told me like, this is the one thing that's causing this problem, you know, in this person. It's never that easy. And that's kind of why, that's why we exist as practitioners. You know, if it was like always one issue and it was easy to figure out and solve, you know, they wouldn't really need us, but it's always way more complicated than mm -hmm. that. I, I tend to see that in people. There's usually a mental health component. There's usually a microbial component, a food sensitivity component. Um, you know, microbial could be layered too. Maybe they have SIBO and on top of that, they also have yeast. So mm -hmm. then we have to do a protocol for each one, you know, at different times. Maybe there's even a parasite involved. Maybe there's a toxicity involved. You know, so there's, there's usually layers that we need to address. And that's why it takes time because we can't necessarily do everything at the exact same time. We kind of have to peel back the onion layers, you know, and gut is usually where we start, you know, mm -hmm. microbial issues and gut health and gut healing is usually like a good starting point. Would you jump to a probiotic? I know that that's what a lot of people would do, um, you know, if they're self-treating, uh, jump yeah. on a probiotic. Is that safe in all areas or maybe not? Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's something we haven't discussed yet. And, um, and yeah, you know, in my SIBO treatment, we don't just off the bat necessarily start someone on a probiotic. Usually we'll try to clear out whatever infection is overgrown first and then we might add a, a probiotic after that, after the mm -hmm. initial, initial treatment. Um, because a lot of times SIBO patients will get aggravated by a probiotic mm -hmm. because the problem is overgrowth. And so we're almost like putting more fuel on the fire by doing that. Um, but something like Saccharomyces boulardii could be really beneficial to a lot of people because it's not a, it's not a bacteria. It's actually a beneficial yeast, um, that helps good bacteria to stay alive and grow. So that's one that, that I might start right off the bat. 
with people is Saccharomyces boulardii. And then another one that has been well studied is something called Megaspore biotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people be- benefit from that one and like that one. It's spore based um, and it has a lot of great um, properties that help heal the lining of the gut. Are you with me? Or are we frozen here? Oh, can you hear me? Oh, I think we were frozen just a little bit here. The idea, though, the important piece that I think everybody should understand is that although it is, um, as, as Dr. Sayana said, a bunch of layers and peeling back the onion, at least you now know that peeling back the onion and the not simplistic approach to healing this is extremely important. And although it may seem overwhelming to you, the fact that you have doctors like Dr. Sayana, who said, says that we were pulling back these pieces of the onion. It's not to overwhelm. It's to get to the real, we froze there a little bit. Um, so I'm just sort of filling in the gap here. So uh, the way I'm, I'm ending off um, is, is the fact that I don't want people to be overwhelmed by what you said. I want them to be encouraged because this is now, it's not yes. just, you're under this umbrella. Uh, here you go. Try not to eat these bad foods. You're offering people finally hope that after years they may have been suffering. So uh, thank you so much for doing that. You're the perfect person to have on here to explain it. I've been waiting for a show like this for a long time because it is so prevalent and so many people suffer. Now, you have a program you'd like to tell us about, so uh, please do so and tell us where we can find you and if somebody wants to get in contact with you, how you can be reached. Yes, absolutely. So we do have a gut health course, which is so exciting to be able to offer that to people because working with functional practitioners is not always feasible for everyone because you know, mm-hmm. of costs and where you may live and all that. Um, so yeah, so it's great to be able to offer that for you guys. We'll, we'll make sure that the link is available to you. Um, we also have a pop-up on our website at www.primehealthdenver.com that is giving um, a special promotion for the gut course right now. It's at 90% off, but we'll, we'll still give you that. We'll give you guys a promo code um, health hub that continues that on in case that this airs after the promotion is over. Um, so for your audience, you know, you can still get that, get that value. And it's really amazing. It's basically going into the anatomy, the physiology of the gut, what can go wrong and then how you can, actionable steps on how you can begin to fix things. Um, and there are also supplement um, recommendations at the end. So you can really get started and dietary things as well. And it was made by our PA, Crystal Crowley, who's really incredible and e- extremely um, intelligent with gut health. So that's one thing. And then you can also follow us on Instagram. We're prime health um, underscore Denver. Um, and get some information that way. Also on our website, we have a ton of information on our blogs. We have, we have a lot of, of blogs specifically on IBS with actionable items that you can take. So I hope that you check that out too. We go in way more into depth on all of these different topics. Um, and then if you want to work with us one-on-one, well, I don't think that we can work with Canadians necessarily legally, um, but we do have health coaches, you know, and I don't think that there's any restrictions on that. Um, our practitioners may not be able to do one-on-one work with you, but 
um, we do have health coaches that could do one-on-one work with you. So if you are interested in that, please do inquire, you know, through our website, primehealthdenver.com. We have free phone consults just to talk about, you know, what we have, what our offerings might be able to do for you. So feel free to do that. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really great show. And uh, I think that you're giving people a lot of hope. So thank you. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on the Health Hub. Listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.